Hi, I'm Alan Sentier, the Heartful Badass Coach. Being badass is about being the real you, being strong, feisty, confident, knowing your own truth and walking it, feeling the fear and doing it anyway, with a heart full of joy and boundaries that really work. I learned how to be the real me through telling and writing stories, and now I'm a best-selling author as well as a badass psychotherapist and coach. I tell stories a lot in podcasts and blogs and in the coaching programs I do. Being authentic, living your own story, that's being the real badass you. And being real badass is being full of heart, caring. Because we've lived through all that shit, haven't we? So we know it in our bones and we really do truly feel compassion. So come on. Let's do some badassery. Let's change ourselves and watch the whole world change around us. Let's make our lives, our businesses and our hearts sing. Snapper Day is Catter Day. I don't know if you knew that, but it is. Do you notice your cat just being? You know, those Zen furballs are masters of being present of living in the moment. Me, I try it. Well, I do more than that. I do my best to be feline in my approach to being present. And I strive for cat level awareness 24-7. You see, cats and all animals, they don't just clock out of awareness. They aren't juggling past regrets and future anxieties. They're right here, right now, in the magical present. (laughs) And here's the trick. I make it my goal to be the same as them. To be fully awake, feeling the chair I'm sitting in, listening to the subtle hum of the world around me. And at the same time, I'm acutely aware and in tune with my inner landscape, how I'm feeling, what my intuition is telling me what my instincts are saying. I try not to toggle between states. Lots of people do that. You know, now I'm present, now I'm just in the everyday. But no, I don't do that. Well, I do, but I try not to, and I don't do it too often. I stand firm in the ebb and flow of life, a bit like a tree with roots. And so I'm aware of what's going on around me and of how I feel about it. And I don't keep changing lanes. Like I said, I don't keep flicking into present moment awareness and out of it again into the everyday. I try to hold the middle way. We call it walking between worlds. And I'm trying to be fully aware of myself all the time and at the same time aware of all around me, like the birds singing, like the cat at the end of the bed here where I'm sat, like like the sound of the wind outside, because we've got gales today, and like watching the rain as well, knowing that the rain is there, knowing when it stops and knowing when it starts again. And because I'm aware of my surroundings, of everything that is around me, I'm not often taken by surprise. 
And you know what? It also helps to read other people easily. Being aware of your surroundings so that you're aware of the person who is with you, speaking to you, not speaking to you, whatever. But you're also aware of the surroundings of both of you, of your surroundings and of the surroundings, and you get the feel of how they're affecting that person. And that helps you read the person so that you can respond to them rather than just react to their words. People do that too often. People say something and you react to the words you hear, but you don't take in how they feel, how the weather's affecting them, how being in your house or in that cafe or on the street or just driving or whatever. You don't take in how their surroundings are affecting them. So you don't read them properly. All you hear is the words. And all you hear is your own translation of those words, not their translation, because you're not in tune enough for that. You hear yours, you feel yours. So you think they are behaving in a particular way, and maybe they're not. So being fully aware of myself and of everything around me helps me so that I'm not often taken by surprise. I may be a slight sort of like, ooh, wasn't quite expecting that, but it's not like, oh my God, why did she say that? Big difference there. So as long as I'm aware of where I am and where everything else is and where everyone else is, I can read other people easily. And I can see into what's motivating them. And that doesn't mean nasty things. It may be that they're really miserable inside, but they're trying not to show me. It may be that they're really happy inside, and maybe they think they shouldn't be be showing me that either. Or it may be that they're just motoring along, and they're trying to respond to me. So being aware of everything around me and myself really helps me make good choices. I can make a good choice in how to respond to that person and I can make a good choice in whether to respond to that person because sometimes people don't want you to respond. They just want you to be there, witness, hearing them. So as I dance through life every day, I try to stay cat-like and centred, fully grounded and fully here. Now, you may say, yeah, I do that. I'm present. I do mindfulness. I tried mindfulness 30-odd years ago when it sort of really first became fashionable. And it was okay, but it didn't help me nearly as much as the presence practices I'd been taught as a child. It sort of started me off, you know. I spent some moments there being present, and then I came back to normal. So actually, I hadn't been here. I'd been there. I'd been almost out of time, out of space-time. I'd been elsewhere, not here. And when I came back to normal, nothing had really changed. I'd had a quick breather, a moment out of time, a moment out of stress maybe, 
and then I was back in it again. It was all in my face again. Well, okay, maybe a couple of inches further back. But now the old ways had showed me right from childhood how to keep and hold the perspective so that I could keep stress right out of my face, you know, a couple of foot away maybe. could still hear it and feel it and see it going on, but it wasn't sort of banging on me like I was being beaten up by it. And that helped me to think clearly without being overwhelmed. It's so much more than just a breather. In fact, it's a whole way of life. Now, wild animals do this all the time. Wild birds, too, and wild plants and fish. Everything, except humans. Animals that are tamed by humans, they often have far more difficulty because humans are not naturally calm, not since civilization. Civilization taught us, they taught us to be us and them separate. They were animals, they were nature, they weren't as evolved as us and we were the pinnacle of creation and all that stuff. You know, that really brings back or brings up a really nasty memory for me. It's the memory of the word untermensch. Now, you may not know this word, or you may, Untermensch is the word the Nazis used for those they considered to be subhuman. Those they considered to be unfit to be members of the Aryan race. Hmm, is that giving you to think? So if we think that we're better and superior to the rest of nature, is that not us thinking that nature is untermensch? Subhuman, don't we often say that? Oh, they're only an animal. It's just a carrot. That's only a tree. And that word only, it just pulls in that whole less than me. And it also gives me a sense of I'm better than them. And life, since we sort of invented civilization, i.e. got together and like farms and cities and settlements and we stopped living with nature in the same way as we had before for five million years actually that started to bring us into they're less than us animals are less than us they don't matter as much as us well, I don't mind pulling up a carrot because it's just a carrot. I'm a human, I need it. Oh, Ellen, are you just saying we can't eat? Are you saying we can't have food, Ellen? No, I'm not. But I am saying we need to respect everything around us because it is just as important as we are. Now, can we just stop this black and white? I can only eat something that is less than me. No, that's not how it is. Well, I am not suggesting cannibalism uh, for one very simple reason, that that will give you the equivalent of mad cow disease. 
We aren't supposed to eat our own species. Some creatures do. I mean, falcons and hawks, the third chick, which is sort of the ultra spare, the third chick very often does die and is eaten by the other two chicks. Yeah, you're probably all going shock horror there. But just leave that and allow it to sink into yourself because it's got a lot of sense. And maybe I'll talk about that another time. But we humans, we're not... (laughs) This is going to make you laugh. We're actually not evolved enough as owls are, for instance, or hawks maybe. Our bodies can't eat our own species. They can't digest them. It makes them ill. The other animals have a much bigger gene pool than us, and their genes, their evolution has enabled them to do this. I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not going polarised. I'm not going black or white. I'm not going either or. I'm saying they are like this. And at the moment, we are not. So I'm not advocating cannibalism. And I am advocating eating. I like eating. It actually helps me feel a lot better. It gives me strength and all the rest of the things. and keeps me awake and alive. But I respect my food. I care how it was produced. I care where it comes from. And I will give up other things that I might like, I don't know, chocolates, cigarettes, booze, um, in order to eat food that comes from a decent life and death. To eat food that has been respected. To eat food that has been grown in soil that is allowed to be soil and hasn't been turned into some kind of agricultural mega thing that is going to be superfood or any of that rubbish. So I respect nature, and I respect all the animals and the birds and the fish and the insects and the bugs and the viruses and the bacteria, everything in this world. I respect it. But when we did this separation thing when we started really getting into farming, which is really the end of the Mesolithic, the beginning of the Neolithic. Then we separated ourselves off and we began to feel that we were superior because we developed a hierarchy amongst ourselves. You know, we had the boss, we had the man who owns the land and we all worked for him and there were some who were higher up the ladder than we were and there were some who were lower down the ladder than we were. There was a ladder. There was a hierarchy. Back in, I think it was 1966, on the Chicago conference, Man the Hunter, they'd done a lot of work on hunter-gatherer tribes with hunter-gatherer tribes, not work on, I hate that word. They had worked with them and learned from them how they thought, how they worked, how they felt. Back in 1966, there were a hell of a lot more hunter-gatherers who hadn't been squeezed out by civilization. Now there are very few left that haven't been squeezed, pushed, shrunk and polluted by modern civilization. But then there were 
And they learned that they don't have a hierarchy in the sense that we do at all. They have the man who's really good at teaching the kids. They have the man who's really good at looking after the kids. The woman who's absolutely brilliant at hunting and stalking. They have the woman who's brilliant at napping stone for tools. And they have the man who's really brilliant at carving all the bowls and the implements and things like that. They have people who are really good at making fire. There are people who are really good at butchering the animals that they eat. And others who are really clumsy and screw the carcass up completely. Quite easy to do that, you know. So there wasn't a hierarchy. There was there's a man who can do that, a woman who can do that, a child who's really good at this. And we were valued, we each valued each other for who we were, what we were, and our inner selves. This person is probably full of love. Probably we were all more full of love in those days because nobody put us down. We didn't put each other down. You're less than me because you're not a hunter. Actually, I can't live without you because you're a damn good herbalist. So everybody was valued the same. What's your values? Is somebody who's really rich who has royal blood, are they better than you? Hmm, there's a thought. We're taught that they're better, that they're more important. But are they? Or is that just a neat little illusion, a trick, to keep them sitting in power over us? Worth thinking about. And yes, this all has to do with being present. Because when you flip in and out of presence, you know, you go off and have a few moments rest being present and you come back to the everyday reality that you know, you tend to stick with what you've been taught. You don't change. When you are present all the time, you are aware of changes all the time. And you're there, beautifully balanced and walking, well, wobbling every now and again, down this middle way, partly remembering the past, partly anticipating the future, but all the time here and now. So you can see changes so you can see when someone is motivated by personal power or personal desire for wealth or personal anything, when it's that me, me, me thing. What can I get out of this? And you, might, you see people who are like, well, I'm doing this. Would you like to learn it? Can I help you in any way? Or would you mind helping me because I'm actually having difficulty with this? Different people, aren't they? I know which ones I like. Probably the same as you. But when we're present all the time, like the cat is, like the horse is, like the falcon is or the hawk, like the fish are, like the dolphin, 
When we're present like that, then we see the change go on around us and we see how it fits and flows with us. Imagine trees. Imagine an oak tree, thousands of years old, or a yew tree, many thousands of years old. And they are there, watching the change happen all around them, feeling it coming through them, through their roots, through all their sap veins inside, through the years of growth and seasons that they, they experience. They're there all the time, in the world and in themselves, feeling the change happen all the time. We can be like that. I believe as hunter-gatherers, we were like that. I think even in the Mesolithic, where we were something between, we had, you know, some settled camps, but we were also moving as well and working with the trees, with the forest herds, with everything that was going on around us. I believe we had that too. Now, I was saying that animals who live with humans suffer because we are not like that. And we think of other th things that are not humans as untermensch, as subhuman, as not like us. And that's not cool. That's not compassionate. <coughs> and to be honest, is that what you want to be? Mostly when we tame animals, we subjugate them. Even when we think we're doing it kindly, we tell ourselves we're doing it for their good. You may have heard, old traditions around the world say modern humans live in a world of illusion. That sounds just like a world of illusion to me. Wild animals, and those fortunate enough to live with humans, who ask for and listen to and then act on what the animal wants and needs, they're calm and present most of the time, unless they need not to be. They're calm and present until they need to fight, or they need to fly, or they need to do something out of calmness. And then it's done and they come back to calm again. I see this most weeks because I have a pair of sparrowhawks who hunt my garden. They're wild, but they've chosen to live and that my garden is part of their hunting ground. That's happened for the past five years here, ever since I've been here. And you know, I feel so encouraged by this. My wildlife garden must be pretty good to tempt top predators to hunt here. Maybe you don't know, but a sparrowhawk does really well if she makes a kill one time in ten. And the energy she uses for each hunt is enormous. She desperately needs the food, the kill, in order to stay alive. And put that up a couple of orders of magnitude when she's got chicks. No way is being a top predator an easy life. So she comes, she dives on my bird feeder, makes a kill, gets herself some food. All the songbirds dive into the hedge, get out of her way, and they sit there still and quiet for a couple of minutes. And then they're back. 
They're back on the bird feeder, feeding and squabbling and making love amongst themselves, just like nothing had happened. But no, they've not forgotten. But they know, oh, so much better than must most of us humans. They know that living in the past or being permanently terrified of the future is a complete waste of time and energy. So they live in the present, eat and squabble and mate and sing in the now. But they know and they remember the past and they know that it can happen again in the future. But they also know that they are not in the past and that they are not yet in the future. So they be, they be present in the now. My cat's like that too. All my cats always have been. And they're a constant reminder to me to follow their examples, to live in the now. And that I must live in the now while knowing in my bones that the now is made out of the past and out of the future. And knowing not to rush ahead into a quantum future that still is only potential because it's not happening now, nor to linger in the past, which is over and gone, and lives only in my memory now. So I do my best to follow my cat, my Kellen cat. I follow her example and do my best to walk between worlds. I try to live constantly in the constantly changing now, because it is now and now, and now, and now. Knowing that, knowing that now could not be without the past that brought me here and the quantum potential future that will be my next breath, that's where I try to live. That is calm, that is peace, that is being present. Do come and join me. Well, hey, I hope you enjoyed that. Hope it pulled out some new ideas and new ways of looking at life, the universe and everything. And I'd love to know your comments, so do send them to me. Doing and being badassery is fun. It makes your heart sing. And that helps everyone. And it helps you put the soul back in your life and in your business. Business, when it's really working, is fun, full of badass reality and makes your heart sing. So let's stick all those rubbish old work ideas of toil and drudgery in the compost caddy. Let's recycle them into something fun and useful. That's what badassery is about, having fun and being useful. If you'd like more, get on my website, www.ellensentier.com. Sign up for my newsletters and check out my lives and vlogs. Let's get to know each other. Let's get together, have fun, grow your life and make your heart sing. Let's be real. Come on, let's light our fires. <laughs>